Hi, I'm Mark Richard, and you're listening to Pure Talk, the podcast where we talk about life, health, and living pure. Our guest today is Shirley Weir. Shirley is the menopause chick. She started Menopause Chicks in 2012 after dealing with her own symptoms of sleep issues, depression, brain fog, and that led her to years and years of searching Dr. Google at 3 a.m. We've all been there. Shirley is now on a path to empowering women to take their own health into their own hands. Today we discuss Shirley's upbringing in Ontario, her move to Vancouver, her educational background in communications at the University of Waterloo, and how her entrepreneurial spirit is helping women take action on their health each and every day. This is Pure Talk. just wanted to start basically with uh, some some home life. Um, I know a lot of what you've done recently, but I don't know kind of your backstory. So like, were you born in BC or? No, I was actually born in Wyerton, Ontario. Wyerton. Yeah, it's I've the never... groundhog capital of Canada. Is it? Okay. <laughs> it's a very small town. Right. <laughs> um, and I went to university at Wilfrid Laurier University in Waterloo. Correct. I okay. uh, lived in Toronto and then decided to move to Vancouver for a year. 28 years ago. Right. And Wyerton, I mean, I'm from Niagara Falls, Ontario. Oh, okay. Wyerton, I've never, I've never heard of it. What's, what's Wyerton aside from Groundhogs? What's, what else is it known for? So it's the gateway to the Bruce Peninsula. The okay. Bruce Peninsula is between uh, Lake Huron and Georgian Bay. Right. And it's on the Niagara Escarpment. Okay. So yes. yeah, yeah, little Ontario geography Love. for you. <laughs> right. I always thought the Escarpment was amazing until you come here and see the Rockies. It's true. And then you're like, wait, no, that's not quite... Yeah. As impressive. You know, I really think that um, moving to BC helped me appreciate the beautiful geography where I grew up. But of it's just, I'm blessed that I get to live in, or I have lived in both. Both right. parts of the country. Absolutely. And in Wyerton, Ontario, what did what did your parents do? Um, so they were originally farmers who morphed into tourism operators. I grew up in a motel. Really? Yeah. So for seven years, my parents owned a motel at the tip of the Bruce Peninsula in a place called okay. Tobermory. Great. Okay. And I used to, um, it was only a summer resort, so I used to change schools twice a year. I would start school in one place, and then I'd move at the end of October, and then I'd move back in the spring. That's got to be incredibly difficult. <laughs> it was it was fun. I mean, I didn't know any different, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Did you have any siblings? Were there? Any? Yeah, my sister is ten years older than I am. Okay. So she couldn't do that because there was only an elementary school in Tobermory, so she had to live in Wyerton and go to high school there. Right. So you're making new friends every year. Then it's sort of a it's a it's a reboot. It's like it's like those weird movies where everything starts <laughs> over. Right. Each day is. Yeah, it was kind of like Groundhog Day. Yeah, um, yeah, we'd go back and I would have, you know, I'd recognize people, but they would have their have their friendships formed, and then um, right. I would work my way back into that. Wow. So yeah. do you feel like did you, uh, do you feel like you found a community though eventually? Like you found people you related to or uh, found a, a base even as a child? I did because you know I was ten years old when we sold when my parents sold the motel and we moved to Wyerton permanently. So okay. you know. That's where all of our family and cousins and people were. So yeah. Right, right, and then studying communications. I think it was at right at, at Waterloo. Yes. Uh, was that always the direction? Was that? Um, I mean, maybe that's where the communication background comes from. Now you had to meet new people every year. Yeah, in maybe. School. I'll be really honest with you. I went to university because um, it was a small, you know, like Wilfrid Laurier is a small school. Right. And I had some friends going there. And I just thought I loved the communications program because 
because it was this integration of business and arts and I got to take like from different faculties right. and it was a new program so I liked that but I always had a fascination with media and marketing and advertising and I found that I wanted to have a job in that area. So. Right. Do you know maybe where that came from? Was that, do you remember growing up as a teenager that are seeing things? Were, did ads speak to you more? Were you a victim of consumerism? What, what was the, what I'm, I'm definitely a, a, a victim of consumerism. Okay. Um, but in Wyarton, Ontario, we only had two television stations. So right. I guess whoever wow. was advertising on those stations. <laughs> Just did it for you. <laughs> did apparently. it for me. Yeah. yeah. The farming lands, whatever was <laughs> exactly. advertising at the time. And did you, was it everything you wanted at Waterloo, the communications department? Was it exactly what you, what you yeah, thought it was I mean, to I, I loved that it, it was groundbreaking. So we were the, I was the first um, graduating class from the communications program oh, okay. at that school. So that yeah. was that was very cool. Right. Yeah. Sometimes can be challenging if it's a new program, right? Yeah, but you don't know any different, right? Of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then immediately after school, it was the move out to BC. No, immediately after school, I uh, headed for Toronto mm -hmm. and I was hired by Canadian Living Magazine. Okay. Um, which was amazing because it was something, it was a brand that, you know, my mom and her friends could all identify with. It was on every grocery newsstand right. and yeah. really popular. And um, I had some amazing mentors there. And my boss at the time, uh, she hired me. And then six months later, she moved to Vancouver. Wow. So I kind of followed her out here. She's been my best friend ever since. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And what did she? What did you see in her that that made you want to follow her? Or was it just her leadership style? What yeah, was... we were just always very enthusiastic about having work conversations, and I always like to say like the best job is when it doesn't feel like work. Of course, and that's what it was like working with Jennifer. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I was just fortunate enough to have that mentor really, really early on. Right. And um, and then fortunate enough to move to BC. Yeah. After that. And was it always Canadian Living Magazine? Did she or did she? She moved out here and actually worked for Beautiful BC Magazine, oh, okay. which was owned Great. by Jimmy Patterson at the time. Oh, look at that. Yeah. A little pure connection. Yeah, I know, there. right? Nice. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And and the communications for, for, for the next couple of years then? How long did you? Yeah. So I actually uh, was hired by BCAA. Okay. Yes. And they, um, uh, you know, gave me a really great grounding you know, in terms of teaching me, I had lots of marketing opportunities and communication opportunities with uh, with the association, but also I learned management skills. And I always have had an entrepreneurial spirit, right. but I really do believe that it was working at BCAA, like working for a corporation where you can gain those, um, those skills that or mm -hmm. you, I'm not going to say you can't learn as an entrepreneur, right. but it might have taken a lot longer, a lot more <laughs> mistakes along the way. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. Definitely. So I was lucky to have great mentors at BCAA too. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. Which help you every day now. Yeah. I'm sure. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been self-employed for 20 years now, but um, I don't think I could have done that without that that corporate experience. Right. Right. That The self-employment, let's pick up on that. Now, okay. was this... Was this something that you had always wanted to do? Did you always like the entrepreneurial spirit? I think has been in you. It seems for a while. Yes. Um, did you know what that was going to be? Is that is you knew you wanted to start something? Was it just looking for the right cause or? I dabbled in a few things mm -hmm. along the way, a couple side hustles. Um, but then in 
the year 2000 was when my son was born and so as a you know as a working mom yeah um you're kind of faced with these questions of one is do i want to commute for two hours a day and so that combined with the fact that i had an entrepreneurial spirit i was really blessed uh, with the opportunity to uh, be self-employed to have some great communications clients and to be home with my kids yeah exactly yeah so and then, and then what did you did you find a um, uh, something to, to dabble in or to, to go on for in terms of entrepreneurial entrepreneurial? Yeah, so I worked as marketing manager of the day for okay. a number of different clients, right. um, many not for profits in the city of Vancouver, um, where I could you know bring director of marketing level expertise, um, but bring it on a part time basis, which right. was kind of like a win win. I got to do what I love to do, and they got to benefit from. Uh, you know, some great experience and sure. background. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the dream of everyone, right? To be able to just freelance, right, is kind of the goal for everyone. Yeah, I right? think, I mean, I didn't know that at the time. Like, when I started out as a self-employed entrepreneur, you didn't tell people that you were working at home in your pajamas. Right. But now it's no. quite, you know, it's quite common to say that. Absolutely. Or I'm working from a, a local coffee shop. So, right. yeah, yeah, very, yeah. very blessed that I've been able to do that. Of course, that's great. And then, so where does the where does the menopause chicks then come from? I think, obviously, I think it's it's very well documented. It came from your own symptoms. It was something that you started to experience. Um, do you think work related to that at all? Do you think the just life in general? I'm sure is what contributes to it. Yeah. But where do you start to find the or where does the frustration start to set in of of the symptoms you're experiencing and not having a place to turn? Yeah, it's. A- Great question. Um, Menopause Chicks was born out of my own experience Mm -hmm. um, and particularly born out of my own experience of going online. Right. So, you know, I'm a smart, savvy, but busy woman. And I remember turning to Dr. Google at three in the morning Mm -hmm. and all that was popping up in those days were um, were pop up ads for how to lose your belly fat. Yeah. And I was constantly met with these messages and I thought, this is not the story. This mm-hmm. is not what this is about. And then, of yeah. course, you get on with your life. And um, and I did uh, go to my doctor with like huge, huge expectations mm-hmm. um, around. I was around age 41 and I thought this is going to be the best conversation I've ever had with a medical health professional. Yeah. And I love my doctor. Yeah. She delivered both my babies. She's amazing. She's probably about 10 years older than I am. So it was just okay. like I was looking forward to the the conversation. And, and it was for a pap smear. And then I sat up. I remember sitting up on her table and she said, is there anything else you'd like to talk about? Mm-hmm. And I said, yes, actually, I'm dealing with anxiety and depression for the first time in my life. Yeah. I can't sleep past 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. And I have brain fog that is affecting the way that I do my work right. and run you know, family life. Yeah. And she looked at my chart and then she looked at me and she said, oh, well, you're 41. You're too young for menopause. And, and this is what year, sorry? So I was 41, so about 11 years ago. Okay, okay. Yep. And she's right. I was too young for menopause because menopause is the 12-month anniversary of your last period. And okay. the average age of menopause for North American women is 51.2. Okay. I reached menopause at 49, so somewhat sure. average. yeah. But the phase of life leading up to that day mm-hmm. is perimenopause. And what... I was experiencing was either um, 
hormone fluctuations associated with perimenopause yeah. or in hindsight I'd probably stressed myself out. Like I was probably experiencing uh, some degree of burnout. Sure. Uh, yeah. Self-employed, two young kids at home. Yeah. And my aging mother was living with us at the time with showing signs of dementia. And I was waking up at three in the morning instead of actually trying to go back to sleep. Mm -hmm. In all honesty, I was going and working for three hours, you know, before the kids got up. Exactly. So yeah. women can do that. But we can only do that for a certain amount of time before we right. hit the proverbial wall. And exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the I, the reason I asked what year is because perimenopause that term is yes. more of like a '90s thing, right? It, it was in, came. It sort of came along in the '90s, didn't it? Where all of a sudden people started to call it something, right? Okay, you've been paying attention. I well, love this perimenopause. <laughs> perimenopause was invented in 1996. Oh, okay. the, the term was coined in 1996, and you can go on Google and you can look at the line of of how it Searches, searched, yeah. and it does like it basically spikes. it's flat and then it spikes in the '90s. Right. But we have healthcare professionals, you know, that are that are. Um, talking with the women in my community and they were educated before 96 of course um yeah. which you'd think would matter except that perimenopause and menopause are not conditions they're not diseases and they're not discussed in medical school right. so yeah you know it's a double whammy that we're yeah so the, two parts of that the first one i want to cover is did did your doctor then recommend anything at that point yeah. was did she think it was a case of burnout is that where she first her first thought? so here's the thing mark um usually those appointments are about seven minutes long seven and a half yeah. and i had already been there for a pap smear so okay. this was the tail end of a an appointment that I yes. prob in hindsight, I've since learned that I probably should have maybe called ahead and booked a 20 minute conversation with her. Right. Um, but she did recommend, she said I could um, go back on the birth control pill, mm. that I could take sleeping pills, mm -hmm. or that if it was really bad that she would prescribe an antidepressant. Right. And I knew that none of those three things resonated with me. Yeah. Um, in terms of what I was really looking for, even though I probably didn't at the time know exactly what I was looking for. Right. Um, so my first instinct, you know, and there was probably a large thought bubble that went above my head that day was like, oh, my God, Shirley, this is all in your head. Like, suck it up. Yeah. That was my first instinct. Sure. And then immediately after that, I remember, like, getting dressed and walking out and thinking, I can't be the only one. Mm -hmm. There's no way that I am the only woman that feels this way or is going through this. So right. at the time, blogs were really popular. And I thought, I'll just, you know, I'll just start a blog. Mm -hmm. I'll start a blog off the end of my desk and I'll get everyone talking about this and that will be that. And then right. I'll get back to my life and carry on. And the universe had some bigger plans, I think, because no the kidding. response to the blog was really positive. For sure. So. I mean, well, thank God for the entre entrepreneurial spirit, because I'm sure many women have thought, well, oh, I'm not, I'm, I can't be the only one either, but then don't take the next step, right? And and start talking about it and start getting, right? And start getting other people. It's not a popular topic. It hasn't, historically, has not been a popular topic to of talk course. about. Exactly. Yeah. And it's amazing. It's unfortunate. It's not your doctor's fault. It's no. maybe a victim of the, med the medical system where the three things the three things she mentioned and brought up, which they're taught to, I'm sure, yes. is all just masking, right? That's all yeah. that is, is the three masks that are going to uh, sort of take care of a symptom, but not actually address what the actual problem is. You're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. And 
What I like to tell women is get informed and choose the journey that's right for you. If you are in a place where the birth control pill or a sleeping pill or an antidepressant is the right decision for you, by all means, I'm not going to uh, judge yes. or comment or steer you in any other direction. Right. But what we um, are sometimes missing in our health, in exploring our health, yeah. is that education that mm-hmm. happens between, you know, I'm talking to my doctor about my experiences and a prescription for X. Right. And there isn't like a place in between that said, oh, I've been taught this or I know that the menu of options yes. include A, B, and C. Yeah. We're missing that as a society often. Um, and so that's kind of the work that I do is to really help women become their own best healthcare advocate and know that they have options, that they know that it's that they can have the confidence to say to a physician who they know, like, and trust, like I did with mine, mm-hmm. hey, you know what? I don't think that's going to work for me. Yes. And that's okay. Yeah, which is such a hard thing to say to it your is. to your to your it, medical professional. It is. Right? It's, they're obviously everything is set up for them to be the one that has all all the knowledge, and you're just there to be the you know tell me what to do, but Ab- to, to to fire back and be like, no, that's not going to work for me. Absolutely, and in this particular, you know, in other conditions, right? Like if I suddenly, I don't know, went to my doctor and realized, I don't know, I had arthritis, then I would expect my doctor to be able to, like, you know, have the checklist and know which direction to to go down. Yes. Um, When it comes to perimenopause and menopause, it feels like the conversation, the information, the education—it's almost like it it is delayed. And that someday, if I happen to run into challenges, you know, experiences or symptoms, somebody else will know the answer. Right. And I'm, we're just trying to flip that to say, well, we don't do that with our children. Like, I have a 16-year-old daughter, mm-hmm. and I made, you know, lots of effort to make sure that by the time she reached puberty, there were no surprises. Of course. Yeah. Can't, you can't you know, Protect them from preface everything, everything. No. but you can certainly do your best in terms of all of the education um, to minimize the surprises. So why would, as women, why would we do that to ourselves? Mm-hmm. We have a whole generation of women waking up in their mid-40s, like I did, uh, who are surprised right. and uninformed. Yeah. And unfortunately, the the rest of the world, you have these stereotypes and almost sexist comments of, oh, she's just having a bad day or that's yes. just she's just being a woman, Do you know what I mean? Where, which has to annoy you and your community to no end. Yeah, it does. I mean, I talk about the energy that's associated with menopause a lot, like even saying the word. Yeah. Um, you don't know actually what energy is attached to that for the other person that you're speaking with. Right. So right. they've inherited myths and misconceptions. They've probably been witness to some media innuendo, Mm -hmm. you know, be it a joke or a meme or, you know, something they've seen on the internet. For sure. And that's formed their opinion without ever having attended a workshop or read a book or, you know. Yeah, no, for sure, 100%. So from when you start the community then, what what lets you know or what sort of insight do you have of this is going to work? Is it just the response you got? Like the blog took off? People were responding to it. You thought, no, there's there's enough here to go off of. Kind of two things were happening. Like I said, menopause chicks started because, um, 
you know, my own experience and at the time blogs were popular. Mm -hmm. And then three years later, still my own experience was driving a lot of the research that I was doing and some of the conversations and feedback that I was getting online. But at the time, Facebook groups were just being introduced. And everyone said to me, you need a Facebook group. And I was like, do I? Okay, I'll start one without even, again, really knowing the power and the impact and where that was going to go sure. and um and now i sit here three years after that decision uh this is my full-time vocation it's mm-hmm. you know what i do every day sometimes a good portion of the day because yeah there's lots of conversations to be had of course exactly yeah. yeah um did you first when you first started did you turn to the medical community for for help or was it really just the power of all these women saying I'm experiencing these things too. Let's get together and find answers. Or yeah. did you actually think, no, I need some some medical backing or someone behind me to to sort of educate my community as well? Yeah, absolutely. So I do not have any health education. I okay. call myself a women's health advocate. Yeah. And really what that means is that I became my mission became to curate the best quality information because women deserve quality midlife health education and that I was going to be the curator for them. Um, And the reason for that is because, you know, I want to save women time Mm -hmm. and money. I spent a lot of money trying to navigate my own health uh, through trial and error. Um, And yeah, I just, I knew that in order to stand out, mm-hmm. even though this is a very uncrowded space and still is an uncrowded space, I knew that in order to stand out, it was really important to tap into the healthcare professionals um, who were leading the way, who were leading the conversation. And I reached out, and in all honesty, it was like such a joy that everyone I reached out to said yes. Sure. And then it was like this magical integration of, wow, these healthcare professionals, they believe in the mission Mm -hmm. that we're trying to accomplish, that women deserve quality um, midlife health education, that they deserve quality of life, and that we haven't adequately educated them, that there are easy, viable solutions, and that this isn't... You know, we're not looking for Band-Aid solutions. This isn't, um, you know, as I mentioned, a disease or an ailment. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you have challenges, we can get you through that. And, oh, by the way, there's also lots to celebrate in this time of life as well. Right. So true. Yeah, yeah. And when people are down with symptoms, they normally forget that part. True. Right? Is that, no, let's celebrate so many other good things going on. But you're right. You can't. When when you have all these, these, these symptoms that you don't know what to do with. Yeah, it's true. It's I mean, I get pushback on that a lot yeah. because I do try to come from somewhat of a Pollyanna perspective. The cup is half full. Someone um, has to. If you have challenges, let's you know, let's address that, yeah. and then let's get on with celebrating life because we're the first generation of women to reach fifty and have fifty more years to plan for. There you go. Yeah. Um, but you know, women will call me out on that. They'll push back. They're like, "You don't understand. Like, it's really bad." And I said, "I do understand." Mm-hmm. You know, I do. I see you. Um, but there, are, there's a time and a place for conversations to make society and media, and even to a certain extent, the medical community understand that approximately twenty percent of women have their worlds rocked upside down by hormone fluctuation or hormone imbalance. Right, and 
and 20% of women sail through. Mm -hmm. And then there's 60% of us in the middle that, you know, we might experience um, changes that are mild to moderate, or mm -hmm. we might choose to do something about it too. So sure. that's a very gray area. Right. But right. if you work in a medical profession, you're really only seeing the 20% of women that have their world rocked upside down. So your impression is that that's what menopause looks like. Yes. And you're not seeing the 20% who are thriving and sailing through. Right. And you might be seeing a few of the women that are, you know, in the middle. So yeah. you had to paint a, a different picture of menopause. We're really trying to, like, almost disrupt mm -hmm. the definition and disrupt the conversation. And, you know, my reason for doing that is because I have a 16-year-old daughter. And so I've got about 18 years, mm -hmm. right, to kind of make sure that when – her and her friends get to the beginning of perimenopause that they kind of go, what? That was even a problem. Right. Right. Ex exactly. Yeah. yeah. Do you, on that note, though, do you feel like the the new, the modern woman, um, more equal, stronger, capable, right? Do you feel like that is is maybe going to cause an issue with people then, with women then still afraid to express their symptoms because they're supposed to be seen as strong and and can self sufficient and and powerful and and not and afraid to you know you look at like a, a man in the workplace is never going to admit that they have anxiety or social right. social problems. Do you see that as maybe uh, that that menopause chicks is is maybe just more important as we as you move forward? I think it's very important, and I can only answer that question by saying that my hope mm -hmm. is I'm 52. Mm -hmm. I see my job in sort of setting the stage for changing this conversation. I think the millennials will not put up with a lot of the, you know, the myths and misconceptions, that, sure. and they'll they'll find a way to prioritize yeah. this and take care of business so that when my daughter's generation reaches that age that they'll be like, well, that that used to be an issue mm -hmm. and it's not anymore because we were smart and we know how to, to take care of it. Right. And I hope that through that um, line of hope is increasing confidence to have conversations, to know, you know, no longer will women think, oh, I need, this is just part of being a woman, or I need to suck it up, mm -hmm. or I need to ride this out. Yeah. Right? Let's talk about the the book, okay. uh, Mokita. Okay. Uh, where did that come from? Where do, is this just a, another way to get in front of another audience of just, this is what I've learned over the last, you know, 15 plus years. Um, when you had written the book at the time, uh, and this is this is my experience. This is what I'm going to share and put it all into. I, I saw it marketed once as 21 bite-sized chapters. Yes. I loved that, <laughs> by the way. Um, is is that where the, just the book was just an amalgamation of everything you've learned? Yeah, I had two goals for uh, Mokita. Um, the first goal was I couldn't really find a book in the bookstore. Mm -hmm. I have bought and read them all, I think, yeah. um, but I couldn't find one that I would like to read. And that is, uh, I want a book that I can pick up and open up at any page and mm -hmm. just, you know, a nonfiction book that's just really easy to grab and and learn as you go. Um, I wanted something that was an easy read, that was a consolidation mm -hmm. of everything that I had learned. I wanted to tell some stories because I think, you know, storytelling is a very powerful way uh, for women to get informed and, and educated. Yeah. 
And the second goal of Mokita, something that I talk about a lot in Menopause Chicks, is we need to build our health teams. Hmm. So I always, you know, when when women show up in our community and they might be frustrated, like the story I shared with you, maybe they didn't have the optimal experience with their family doctor. The first thing I say is don't fire your family doctor. Right. You need them on your team, but you have to imagine that this is a time in your life where you might be building a midlife health team for yourself and you're the captain mm -hmm. of that team sure. and if you were building a house right now you wouldn't just hire a plumber right right you yeah. have an architect and a plumber and a carpenter and you know you there would be a team of people that would bring this project together yeah. we have to liken that to our health mm -hmm. and for um for every woman that's going to be different so on my health team, you know, I have a I have a GP, I have a naturopath, I have an integrative pharmacist, mm -hmm. um, and for you know other for your health team, you might have a yoga instructor, you might um, have a life coach. I mean, there's various professions, of so course. many professions that you can bring together. So I invited thirteen health professionals, women's health professionals, to contribute chapters on what it would be like to work with them right. and to also include case studies. And so the case studies, again, they're very powerful in terms of educating. And I knew that women could read those and, read those and realize they're not alone mm -hmm. and then quickly turn the page and real, you know, hear the story about how Karen actually solved or resolved her her experiences or symptoms with that health professional. Right. That's incredibly smart. And I think Nobody knows that better, I think, than Pure, Pure Pharmacy. Mm -hmm. It's very, uh, we know that far too well, right? You need a complementary health team. And it seems to be now the, the, the onus is all put on one person. It's very much, right? It's just on, I go to my GP. They're the ones that, that are going to help me write my prescription, whatever, whatever. And I, I move on with my life. But even more so as you get older, you need more different points of view, right? Yes. And it's, a, it's amazing how it's just recent like that's such a, such a modern day thinking is that no it doesn't have to just be one it could be a bunch of different people contributing to my health right absolutely and you know like bob shared a story with me about how he you know a woman would walk into the pharmacy and he would recommend yoga uh, or a family physician that I know, she would tell me, you know, like she's recommending counseling, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? So it's it, there is a shift happening. Yes. Um, and the other thing, the other shift that's happening that I'm so excited about is, um, you know, healthcare professionals realizing that they are spokes on the wheel of this team. And right. so my naturopath sends me to my GP and they talk to one another and they each get a copy of the results and it's all good because I benefit from that. Yeah, right? definitely. Let's talk about uh, the, we touched on it briefly, uh, the financial problem of yes. someone who now, if they're looking at, they're reading this book and saying, I need a team. I agree. I need a team. This is what's going to help me and push me forward. How do I afford all this? The GP, maybe your MSP premiums are taking care of that, but there's so many other points of view that you really need, right, to, to help you on this journey, but you just can't afford it. So what do you think is 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 the answer to that or where can we push that, push that conversation? Okay, first of all, I wish I knew the answer. Um, it's been keeping me awake for at least the last six years. Yeah. Um, my own personal experience was that I did spend a lot of money navigating my own health. Mm -hmm. um, a few years ago, I was having coffee with a girlfriend of mine, and she'd just been to a medical conference. And the keynote speaker at the conference told a story about the planned mission to Mars. Mm. And so they were—they have a health plan for 
the folks that were sending to Mars and they have robots that are going to perform operations, you know, in space and all of that. Okay. And I walked away from that coffee date and I was, you know, first of all, really frustrated and then really empowered because I am part of a generation of women who I believe are holding up the world right now. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're holding it up at work. We're holding it up with our families. We're looking after kids and aging parents. Mm-hmm. We're the volunteers that we see in the community. But yet when it comes to making health decisions, we put our own health on the back burner. Right. And we... You know, if there was this, if this challenge was happening with children or pets, we'd be the first person, first people to stand up so and advocate for change. And so it was kind of that day that um, that ignited what I now call the Mokita Fund for Women. And I originally thought I needed to solve to save every woman and solve every woman. And what I realized is that I just need to start with one woman at a time. Mm-hmm. And so um, I launched the Mokita Fund for Women because uh, we need to find resources for women who are making limited healthcare decisions based on limited resources. And it's not necessarily about women that live below the poverty line at all. Mm -hmm. Um, My husband is a teacher. Our benefits changed when he switched school districts. So I used to have $500 a year to spend at a naturopath. Right. And now I have $100 a year to spend at a naturopath. That doesn't get me even in the door. No, exactly. Um, so, you know, I just wanted to create an opportunity, a bursary-style fund that women could um, sign up to our guest list and give them the opportunity to experience what it might be like to add another health professional to their team. So Mm -hmm. I say add because most of us can see our GP or our family physician without being out of pocket. Many of us can get a prescription without being out of pocket, Mm -hmm. but not all of us can see a counselor or a pelvic floor physiotherapist, which all women should see, or even taking a walk down the aisle in pure pharmacy. Mm -hmm. Like that might not be part of every woman's monthly budget. Right. Um, And so. Yeah. And then I think, wow, if those women can kind of add to their health team, they can start sleeping better. They can get their adrenal health to an optimal level, they can get their iron levels up, whatever it is that they need, then suddenly they become more productive members at the office, taking care of the family, in the community, volunteering in the community. We have a stronger society. Of course. I mean, it's funny you say that because so many people, it's not about the poverty line. It's I'm sure so many women are just putting other people first before themselves. And that's why they can't afford it, right? Whether it's kids, family, or even uh, mentally putting themselves, uh, you know, putting other people, their job before their own mental well-being. Yeah. And, And probably it's lack of conversation around, you know, we're taught to put money in an RSP. Yeah. We're taught to save for our children's post-secondary education. Right. But nobody sits down with us and says, this is what you need in your health spending account. Yeah. There's this theory of invincibility, right? Yes. When you're you twenties, thirties, maybe even early forties, you think I'm living forever, right? Nobody ever thinks, right? Oh, eventually things are going to turn and it's going to start to 
to, to, to go the other way, right? Yeah. Nobody preps for that, unfortunately. Yeah, and um, if we can talk about health in terms of an investment, mm-hmm. then there's a monetary component for sure to that investment. Exactly. Yeah. I think the you know the the other people on your healthcare team, it doesn't need to be an elitist thing. No. That's the biggest message, obviously, and Absolutely. I know you're a proponent of that. It doesn't need to be, it's it's only for, you know, the rich, right? You know, th- we're lucky that our medical system is as, as, as good as it is in terms of providing care for everyone, right? Yes. We're lucky that that's there. But so many people will say it's, you know, $100 to get in the door to see a naturopathic doctor. That's crazy. I can't afford that. But... It's and then and then they kind of and then they go for dinner exactly. and the bill comes to one fifty <laughs> exactly right so they do that and then they're also lashing out at the naturopath for charging so much I mean yes. let's not be let's not beat around it that seven and a half minute visit you had with your GP is about thirty five dollars they're yes. getting for that so yes. the GPs the medical system is being very well paid don't yeah. get me wrong right so it's the, the just that that negative approach to a naturopath because they're so expensive because it it's looked at as an elitist support as, yes. as an elitist sport sorry needs to be changed yes. that conversation yeah and I know you're a big proponent of that and with that uh you're so menopause chicks the community uh let's talk about that of, of a woman who's who's maybe listening to this sure. or or is is experiencing these experiencing these symptoms uh how do they get involved where do they go where can they go first and what's the what, what would you recommend their first step to be uh, so menopausechicks.com is our website. We have a private online community on Facebook. Right. It has uh, 11, over 11,000 members. And I, I encourage women not to wait until they have symptoms. We want women to be empowered to navigate perimenopause and menopause with confidence and ease. So sure. that's our mission. Right. And it's all, you know, in a perfect world, it's about taking every 35-year-old woman and making sure that she has the information and the education. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we are there with, we have a, a social learning platform. So that it has uh, all of our frequently asked questions. It's a great place to pop into to get mm-hmm. quick um, access right. to quality information. It's also a place to connect with healthcare professionals mm-hmm. who can support you on your journey. Sure. And then the third thing um, that you know is really the community base is it's a great place to connect with other women who are on a similar journey. Of course, um, because you know my experience is my experience, and I share that openly with, w- with the women in the menopause chicks community. But you know, I can't have every experience. And so there's it's lots of conversations in there, you know, from women who may have been recommended to have a hysterectomy and so they can connect with other women and, and find out what their experience is. You know, there's a lot of, of back and forth dialogue that way. And for sure, I think the outcome of that is women can come away feeling like their experience is validated mm-hmm. and ultimately they are not alone. Right. Those are the four words that we write the most is you are not alone. And you have you have uh, interests from all over the globe, right? It's not just a BC thing. It's not just it's not. native to Vancouver. It's it's from all over, you know, uh, all across the international. Yeah, right? we're about 60-40, so 60% Canadian, 40% right. U.S., although we touch 10 English-speaking countries. That's great. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... The events I've seen as well, the the Mokita events I've been a part of, uh, thankfully. Um, do you do you look at it now and think? I mean, I know I can tell by the way you speak about it. You're not done by any means. I don't think so. You're not. <laughs> I know you're not. Um, but 
do you feel like there's you have to be proud of of where it's come so far that it's come so far the events uh you know the i, I think i read that the own network oprah winfrey's network has actually touched on on menopause chicks as well the reach you've been able to achieve i mean that has to feel uh, powering empowering at, at some point well, I'm really proud. Um, I will admit, though, I mean, I chose a very uncrowded space yes. to work in. Right. But um, there are more and more of us doing this work. Yeah. And the good news is that we all know each other. Like I have, you know, you reach out to someone who's doing this work somewhere else in the world on right. Twitter and you get a reply right away. It's great to have uh, those colleagues. But I'm glad that you uh, touched on the fact that we're not done yet. And mm -hmm. um, the birth of the Mokita name and brand actually was an idea that came through the menopause chicks community mm -hmm. and it was from a woman uh whose name was diane and she was like 52 or 53 and she said to me well, i was first of all i was in there doing research i was curious why our engagement rate was so high right because i thought originally that menopause chicks would be a place where women would come get informed and then get back to their living their life yeah and when i uh, saw the active rate i was like wow they're coming in they're staying this is really interesting yeah and so uh this woman, she said to me, Shirley, um, I did everything that you said to do. I got informed. I built my healthcare team. Mm -hmm. Now I'm 52. Now I want you to crack open more conversations. I want to prioritize my sexual health. That yeah. wasn't a priority for me five or 10 years ago because I was basically just trying to sleep right. and get through my day. Yeah. And I want you to crack open. I want to learn about brain health and bone health and breast health and heart health. Like, what are the conversations that I need to have in my, you know, going forward in my 50s, 60s, 70s and beyond? And I was like, okay yeah exactly. wow let's you know thank you for being here thank you for sharing that and and that kind of takes us back to how important perimenopause and menopause can be to a woman's health journey because if we invest mm -hmm. in our health now then you know we're going to have that longevity and vitality and we're also going to be more aware and educated when it comes to things important things like our brain health right Right? 100%. Yeah, exactly. You start one conversation, it's going to start 10 others. Yes. Right? And that's kind of what you're experiencing now. Yes. And and it's all wrapped up in women's health. It is. It's all integrated. I call it a Rubik's Cube. Right. Um, uh, you know, you look in any retirement community today, and you are probably going to see predominantly women. Mm -hmm. um, but you will find that a large percentage of those women are challenged with osteoporosis or maybe dementia or even incontinence mm -hmm. that are affecting their quality of life. And, you know, Mark, I plan to live to be 100, yeah. but I don't plan to be challenged with, you know, God willing, those, any of those three things or anything else. Of so course, yeah. is there something that when I'm sitting in my rocking chair at the end of the day or on the dance floor or in the <laughs> yoga studio right. that I can look back and go, oh, I'm really glad that I did that when I was in my 50s. Right. Of course. Is there a, uh, do you think there's a role for men to play in this as well? I mean, 100%. I, the, the event I was at, seeing the menopause chicks community, I'm sure there's not a lot of men that have joined that are reaching out, but there's ones that obviously that, that are want to be supportive boyfriends, husbands, mm -hmm. right? Uh, friends, partners, whatever it is. Um, where's their role? I in... love talking to men about menopause. Yeah. Um, the, before I even started menopause checks, I talked to my male friends. Um, men 
came up to me after the book Mokita came out and said, you know, will you be writing a book for men? And I said, yes, here it is. Interesting. Right? It's the same book. (laughs) It's so great. (laughs) Um, Men want, you know, the women that they love to be healthy and happy. Yes. And uh, I love chatting with men because they come from such a genuine place of curiosity they're not bringing any of like they're not bringing many myths or misconceptions Mm -hmm. they might have experienced a little bit of the media innuendo but they don't believe that women ought to suck it up no they don't believe you know that women don't deserve quality of life sure they want that uh for their mothers and their sisters and their wives and their girlfriends so um yeah, read the book, um, get as informed as you can, go to the health appointments with the women in your life. For sure. Be an advocate. Get involved. Yeah. Um, take notes, ask questions, have conversations. Um, know that if you are on the receiving end of, you know, mood swings or sleep deprivation or even low libido, mm-hmm. that it has nothing to do with you right. and that it's an incredible opportunity for conversation and relationship engagement. And of course, yeah, yeah. there's lots of positives that can come from it. Yeah, I think the best part is, is aside from maybe something is like painful breasts, aside from maybe that, <laughs> all those symptoms are something that men will experience as well. Good point. There's a different thing going on in their body that's creating it good point but they're going to experience those symptoms as well so that there's no way they can't relate to the woman they're living with or are friends with really good point right and just keep the dialogue and the conversation flowing exactly yeah yeah uh, we just wanted to finish with a couple of rapid peer questions okay that we ask everyone uh, very short and simple uh, first one is what is your favorite word well, my favorite word recently is Mokita, um, and which means the truth we all know and choose not to speak of. Right. So I've started out Mokita being associated with perimenopause and menopause, but there are many Mokitas mm-hmm. in our society. Yeah. Money, sex, religion, yeah. many health conditions. And I'm fascinated by the word. It's from Papua New Guinea. Okay. And in Papua New Guinea, the Kavila tribe actually measures the health of their tribe by how many mokitas they have. Wow, interesting. Yeah, so if you and I were, you know, in the same tribe and we wanted to um, make sure that, you know, we were healthy, we would put all of the things that we're not talking about onto the table. Right. And uh, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. That's why I love these little rapid peers because the short, simple questions are always going to relate to (laughs) what we're doing in our everyday lives, right? What we're advocating for, and that's a perfect example. Uh, the next question is, what is your least favorite word? No. Okay. Simple. <laughs> That's what you need. No, really likes hearing the word no. That's it. <laughs> I'm a yes person. I like that. Uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Uh, I'd like to be in your chair. Really? Yeah. I think you'd be great at it. Yeah. 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 I hope to uh, to do that one day. For sure. And uh, what profession other than your own would you not like to attempt? Oh. Hmm. That's. Um, yeah, the people struggle with that one. Yeah. yeah. Mainly because of like an empathy thing. You, no one ever thinks of like I I will never do that job or don't want to do that job. So it's a tough. It's it's right. It's you know what I mean. Yeah, you know what I think about instantly when you ask that question is about other people in my life. So mm. I've always said like I don't care what you do. If you pick garbage or you're a lawyer, like it doesn't matter what you do, as long as when your feet hit the ground in the morning, yeah. you're happy doing it. Yeah. That is very attractive to me. That's great. And what's unattractive to me is somebody that, 
you know, whines and complains and doesn't do anything about it. That's so, a good answer, yeah. For sure. Well, Shirley, let me say, I mean, like I said, I've, I've mentioned that I've been at lucky enough to be at one of your events. I think seeing you get up in front of your community and talk to everyone is inspirational to not only them, but inspirational to someone like me who's new to the healthcare space and, and is just taking it all in. Uh, the fact that you had Jen Arden at that event, your entire panel you had there. I know. Weren't they great? It's it's great, yes, but it's also a testament to what you've built over the over the last twenty years. Um, so it's it you know it's it's just inspirational. Even being as a man, it's inspirational to see uh, to be in that audience and to see it. So on behalf of them, thank you for thank, what you've done. Thank you, truly, for this work that okay. you're doing. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you.